Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. The Milwaukee Police Chief is just starting a news conference about this Amber Alert that's been going on for the last couple days. Let's dip in and see what the Chief has to say. Here to give you a few details on uh, what's going on here in the investigation. We are seeking help from the entire nation as we continue our search for Nolani, a beautiful 12-year-old child. We have been working side by side with local, state, and federal partners to find Nolani. The suspect, Nolani's father, is in custody and charged and has provided us with information on Nolani's whereabouts. However, all of it has been proven to be untrue. The suspect is a cold-blooded killer and our search to find Nalani has become a game to him. And it's obviously apparent that he truly doesn't care about Nalani. The suspect is a textbook definition of what we are confronting in human trafficking. If you are a victim of the suspect's lies and you are in possession of Nalani, now is the time to turn her over to a safe location, whether it's a hospital, police department, a school, or a church. If you release Nalani now, and she is not harmed, you will likely not be prosecuted. However, if you continue to hold Nalani in your possession, we will eventually find you and her, and you will be prosecuted to the highest degree of the law. The FBI has offered a $5,000 reward for any information leading to the recovery of Nolani. I have Captain Tom Casper of the Homicide Unit that's here to answer a few questions. Good afternoon. The last time I stood at the podium, there was a question about what took so long between the time the homicide took place until the Amber Alert was issued. And now that Mr. Higgins is in custody, I'd like to give you some of that information. A team of detectives and supervisors spent about four, four and a half hours at the scene, processing evidence, talking to witnesses. The deceased victim did not have any identification on her person, so she had to be fingerprinted at the medical examiner's office. Those fingerprints were then entered into the automated system within the department here. However, she was never arrested never applied for a bartender's license, no reason for her to be fingerprinted, and we got no hits. We had to start contacting other states and utilize other methods such as social media to try to get her identified. Once she's identified, now we had to try to find next of kin. It would be nice if everybody had something in their wallet telling us who their mother, father, sister, or brother were, but that's not the case. 
we have to start diving in and researching, and it took time. And the family we found was in the state of Oklahoma. We'd like to notify next of kin as quickly as we can and with as much compassion as we can, so local authorities were sent to notify the family. We then did an interview over the telephone, but imagine being notified that your loved one has just passed away in a violent uh, crime. Now we need to interview you as expeditiously as possible to get information about the deceased child, description, clothing, any photographs. The surviving victim was only able to give us a few utterances in the med unit on the way to the hospital, and she was rushed into surgery and not able to be interviewed for several hours because she was intubated. So in those three and a half hours, there was a mad scramble to identify this victim, find her family, find out if she really had children, get the names, get photographs, and get all the information necessary to reach the threshold where we could satisfy the requirements needed to have an Amber Alert issued. And that was many departments and uh, other entities all working together at a, at a very quick pace. District Attorney John Chesum will say a couple words in mayor. Thank you, Chief Morales. Um, as you know, it is not our practice um, to hold press conferences upon issuance of homicide charges or very often on any charges. Uh, there's an exception to that, and that exception is any time that we believe that a person's uh, life is at stake or that they're in danger. And it allows us the opportunity um, to take this moment to simply reach out to the public and beseech them, to ask them uh, to provide any information that they may have related to the individuals involved in this, um, not so much directly related to, to the underlying case. That's going to proceed the way it's expected to proceed. Um, Mr. Higgins is presumed innocent until proven guilty. Um, that remains the same. That proceeding will, will move forward in its usual course. This is our opportunity simply to ask anybody that knows any of the people related um, to this incident to provide us information. You might not think it's uh, important information, you might not think it's relevant. Um, please provide it to us and, and let us determine that. Our only uh, interest here is to lay, locate this little girl and to make sure she's safe and to return her to her family. Thank you very much. As the district attorney said, uh, it's unusual to hold a press conference to talk about a case in the context we're talking about it here. Um, but as the chief noted, this is about the horrible intersection between human trafficking, violence, and a little girl that we need to find. She's a toddler, she's two years old, and we're asking people to help us find her. We want Nalani to be safe. We want her to be with people who are going to care for her. And the more people can understand what we're doing, again, as the district attorney said, this is not about the underlying criminal case. This is not about the horrific social issue of human trafficking right now. Right now, this is all about finding Nalani. So please, anything that you can do, any information that you have, please contact our police department. Thank you very much. Thank you. At this point, we'll take two questions and... Uh, Have the girl's correct. location or custody status prior to Monday been established? The investigation shows that uh, people had spotted her prior to the incident. I can't give you days or uh, hours prior. Um, we have not seen or followed the whereabouts after the homicide investigation. So we're searching. 
We don't have the exact location because the information in, in the world that these individuals lived in, they travel throughout numerous states, and that's why we're asking the nation for help. We're asking the media to help put this information out there. Uh, there's, uh, in the Midwest, we can look at Michigan, we can look at Minnesota, we can look at Illinois. Uh, but he has ties all the way down to Miami, Florida, and Las Vegas, Nevada, Kansas City, uh, Missouri. The, he's been all over the place. And he, the, the, the child, which I'm hoping is alive and well, I'm hoping we can find her. And that's what our mission is with this press conference, is that we can locate this child. One more question. Our investigation is, again, I don't want to get into the details of human trafficking, but that's the world that these two individuals lived in, the victim and the suspect. We want to find the child, Nolani. And that's our goal in this press conference, to ask you to help us find this child. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I don't have that information with you. If, Tom, you have something detailed, but we don't. Uh, we're hoping to find her as soon as possible. The soonest, the better. Thank you. The reward is for information leading to her location. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, so that was the press conference. The um, the chief misspoke at the start. The the girl they're looking for is two, not twelve. He he said twelve. The mayor said two. It, it's it's a toddler. It's two years old. And the reason they're they're talking about human trafficking because a number of people are texting me saying, "Well, if she's two years old. What's the human trafficking?" I, I the underlying thing is the the guy who is in custody for the alleged murder is believed to have been a pimp. And um, the people who were the, the women are believed to have been people who worked for for him or were connected with him in areas of prostitution. That that's why they're talking about human trafficking. I believe this is a horrible story. It, it's just an absolutely horrible story. And, and the takeaway for for people who haven't been following this, the 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 murder occurred on Monday, and the. The Amber Alert that the suspect was taken into custody on on Wednesday in this connection. And the, and the beliefs are that the guy who is in custody, this just real piece of work, um, his name is Darius Higgins, 34 years old. Um, he, he's accused of killing Sierra Robinson, um, who is the mother of this child and wounding another woman shortly after 1 p.m. Monday. He was taken into custody on Wednesday afternoon. And what they're saying is the reason that there was a delay in issuing an Amber Alert and all this is because th- there was no identification on the women. They, they, they didn't know who they were. They ran fingerprints. That came up negative. So um, th- that's they just didn't know what they were dealing with. And now apparently the guy in custody, if you listen to the police chief, who is clearly angry and frustrated, and appropriately so, but what he's saying is that they're being jerked around. <laughs> in essence, he, he didn't come out and say it, but he's saying, okay, we got this guy in custody. We are trying to find out where the two-year-old is, and he is playing games with us, um, which I, – <laughs> You know, it just you, you just kind of shake your head. You you seriously do and say, what's what is going on in this world? But in any event, the the upshot of this news conference is that authorities are now, you know, nationwide, worldwide, you know, asking if anybody has any information regarding the whereabouts of this two year old. Please, please turn her in. Come forward. Help us find her. 
So that's the ups, ups um, take on on this. Just a horrible situation, and you hope you hope the two year old is is safe. Um, but just a very bad situation and a bizarre situation, and kind of an extraordinary press conference. Hopefully, you know this will work. Hopefully, somebody will see this. Hopefully, somebody will know where the child is, and hopefully, the child will be recovered safely. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Hey, are you looking for something to do this evening? Well, Vivaldi's Four Seasons is one of the most recognizable classic works uh, tonight. Right, Gru? Tonight, the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra is going to be performing the Four Seasons, featuring four MSO violin soloists, each taking turn as the leader for one of the seasons. The concert is taking place this evening at the Basilica of St. Joseph's. Stay tuned um, for your chance to win a pair of tickets to a breathtaking space filled with beautiful murals and moving classical music and one of only a handful of recognized basilicas in the state. Matter of fact, forget the stay tuned. Tell you what, I've got a pair of tickets. It is tonight's show. And if you want to go, the tickets will be at Will Call. So if you win the tickets, we'll give Will Call your name so you can pick them up at the uh, Basilica of St. Joseph at. Let's give them to caller number 10 at 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me ask this, though. Um, and this happens that the show is tonight. If you aren't interested in going or don't think you're going to show up, and I'd ask you not to try to win these particular tickets. But the show is tonight. The tickets will be at Will Call, caller number 10, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Gru is trying to find the winner. I, I, um, I, I have a... Right now, what's going on is, is particularly to the north, you're, you're seeing some flooding because of all the different snow melts and things that are going on, and you've got problems in Fond du Lac, lots of water in people's basement and stuff. Um, there's something else that happens. Now, normally this happens when we have intense rainstorms, but apparently now it happens when we have snow melt as well. The Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewage District said that, well, it started dumping poop in the river again um, and the lake. It started a combined sewer overflow about 5.45 p.m. yesterday. Apparently, melting snow taxed the capacity of the two treatments plants for much of the day and filled much of the not deep enough deep tunnel system, the overflow, and we do not know um, how, how much this is. The overflow filled... Uh, it, Untreated means that untreated waste and stormwater is being released into Lake Michigan. Now, let me put this in perspective. There's no problem with stormwater being released into Lake Michigan. You don't have to treat stormwater. It's not bad to treat it, but you don't have to treat it. Untreated waste, that means floaters are once again being released into Lake Michigan. And I've made this point in the past, and and I repeat it again. I don't fault MMSD for for what they do because the truth of the matter is they have a flawed system. I mean, obviously, if the choice is releasing untreated waste and stormwater into Lake Michigan or having it back up and cause millions and millions of dollars of damages to people's basements, that the superior alternative is to, to dump the stuff into Lake Michigan. But at the same time, I raise this question again and again for all the ecologically sensitive folks who live in Milwaukee and in Shorewood. 
The problem, of course, as we talk about all the time, is that in parts of Milwaukee and in parts of Shorewood, you have a combined sewer system. In other words, the stuff from your toilets, all right, that goes in and it goes into the the system and it mixes with rainwater, which also goes into the system. And so when you have heavy rains or you have enormous snow melts and you've got all the stuff, the snow that's melting, that's going in and overwhelming the deep tunnel system that also has the stuff from people's toilets, the deep tunnel system is not big enough to handle it, which brings us back to the mistake we made decades ago, which was building the deep tunnel in the first place, because the answer has always been to separate the storm sewer from the sanitary sewers. And until we do that across the board in Milwaukee and in Shorewood, you are always going to have situations where if it rains or there's a snow melt or whatever, the deep tunnel system, you can't build the tunnels deep enough to handle All right, we've got a couple feet of snow on the ground. It's now all melting, and it's going into the system. You've got to separate the storm sewer from the sanitary sewers. And until you do that, we, being, all right, this area, MMSD, is going to be one of the enormous polluters of a major natural resource. I mean, it's just mind-boggling to me. If you have a boat, and you're off in Lake Michigan, and you decide that you're going to empty the contents of your in-boat lavatory into Lake Michigan, you are going to be in such incredible trouble. And you know what? You should be in such incredible trouble. All right, that's fine. But that that dumping that private lavatory into Lake Michigan causes just a fraction of the pollution that the MMSD does every time the deep tunnel gets overwhelmed and they have to dump untreated sewage into Lake Michigan. This is a national scandal, and it continues to happen, and it will continue to happen until Milwaukee and Shorewood bite the bullet and do what they should have been made to do decades ago, which is separate the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers. We have our winner of the tickets to see the symphony orchestra. Thanks for participating. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, during the campaign for governor, many of us argued that if Tony Evers was elected, you would be looking at massive tax increases in this state. In the initial part of the camp, because the, the bottom line was, if, if you listen to what Evers was talking about and all the different things that he wanted to do, the reality was there was no way that you could accomplish all these different things. There was no way you could do this unless you were going to have a massive series of tax increases. So initially during the campaign, kind of recognizing that, Evers, Evers said, well, I, I you know, what I want to do is I, I want to do everything I can to, you know, keep tax increases as reasonable as possible. All right. Th- that was what the initial line was. Well, then as we got closer to the election and the race tightened, Evers changed his tune. In September, we moved again in September. The argument was we want to keep taxes reasonable. All right. That gives you wiggle room. 
You know, I want to keep him reasonable, and people can argue about what is reasonable. But you know, he he could easily come in and say, okay, I want three or four billion dollars more in spending, but I think that's reasonable. He moved away from that before the election. For example, um, days before the election, he was doing an interview with the Washington Post, which was focusing on the gubernatorial race in Wisconsin, and he specifically said that he planned to raise no new taxes. Boom. No new taxes. Now, I remember when that happened, a number of us, myself included, commented that it's just it's not possible to do this and that he is not telling the truth. You cannot have this campaign plan that talks about all this spending without raising taxes. November 4th, he repeated the claim, went on WISN television and said, I'm planning on raising new taxes. All right. okay, that's what he promised. Well, the budget that came out has, depending on how you calculate it, actually, I think the numbers are a lot higher. I I actually think that the numbers, you're really looking at at billions of dollars of tax increases if Evers were to get his way. But we'll we'll just start. The nonpartisan Wisconsin Policy Forum looks at his plan on taxes and says taxes and fees will increase by about $1.3 billion under the Evers plan. $1.3 billion. Now, again, there's lots of us who believe that this is low. I actually think if you, some of the stuff that I've seen and looked at, I think you're talking about a few billion dollars in tax increases were he to get what he wants. But let's let's put that aside. Let's use the 1.3 B as in billion dollars in tax increases. All right, so yesterday, Governor Evers comes into our studio and, and does a 30-minute interview with my friend and colleague, um, Steve Scafidi. And in the course of of the interview, um, Scafidi calls him out. And in Steve's nice way about it, he says, hey, wait a second. You know, during the campaign, you, you promised that you would have no, no new taxes, no tax increases. Right? That's what you said. And now... You know, they say it's over a billion dollars in tax increases, to which the governor now says we're pretty close to our campaign declaration that we weren't planning to raise taxes. We're pretty close. I think we'll be pretty close. There may be some small tax increases. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think... Remember remember the big lie of a few years ago when we had the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare? And remember President Obama, you know, who would travel around pushing for Obamacare. And, and what was the big lie? If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your hospital, you can keep your hospital. All right, that, that was what they promised. And, of course, I think everybody now recognizes, regardless of how you feel about the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare, whether you think it's good or bad, we recognize that that was a lie because you weren't able to keep your doctor and you weren't able to keep your health insurance plan. That was the reality. So Governor Evers, now, what, just a couple months in, he campaigned, made specific promises that, you know, there, there wasn't going to be a tax increase. Now he's saying, well, all right, it's $1.3 billion. I think I think that's pretty close. All right, 414-799-1620. What do you think about the governor's is this 
I don't know. Is it wrong to say that the no tax pledge was a lie? Is the governor being inconsistent or is one point three billion dollars in tax increases? Is that just kind of a small thing that we shouldn't worry about? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me give you a hint. This this is the Wisconsin equivalent, in my opinion, of President Obama's. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. No way in the world do I see 1.3 B as in billion dollars in tax increases as being, well, I, I think that this is, we're, we're pretty close to that no tax increase promise. And I say that regardless of whether or not you're one of these people that don't think we should have tax increases, or maybe you're somebody that thinks that you, we should, we should be, we're paying way too less, too, too little in taxes in Wisconsin. What we need is we need billions of dollars. Regardless of how you feel about it, this is, if you don't want to call it a lie, at least in my opinion, it's a major, major, major flip-flop from what he promised in the waning days of the election to help get him over the top. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We're back. Let's start with Phil and Cudahy. Phil, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, Appreciate you taking my sure. call. And I, you know, I appreciate this conversation, too, and hopefully we, everyone can have a civil discourse regarding this. Um, you know, I, I don't want to defend uh, Tony Evers. I, you know, I really, I honestly don't even know enough about him, and I'm not a tax expert. So, but I am a realist and an optimist, and when you've got a finite amount of dollars to spend, let's say we kept taxes the same, <clears throat> it's a matter of shifting money. Right. So I don't think there's everyone wants the same things. Right. We want I I drive on Highway 32. I drive on state highways all the time. We want them fixed. We need we need bridges fixed. We need a lot of things in this state. So we're going to have to spend money. I'm I'm not opposed to paying my taxes. Phil, let let me just stop you there, though. And I understand reasonable people can disagree on that point. My point is. When Tony Evers says, within the shadow of the election, on multiple occasions, when he's being accused of, hey, you're going to be Tony the taxer, and he says, I'm planning on raising no new taxes. I'm planning on raising no new taxes. And he says it over and over again. And then he comes up with a plan that has at least one plus, one billion plus dollars in tax increases. Is that a lie? Was he lying? Uh, yeah, he was. It, was. I don't <laughs> want to call it a lie. I want to call it. I want to call it being uh, optimistic, maybe naive. Uh, oh. But again, you know, we as people, you know. As, as okay, but but, but let me again. Let me ask you this: if, if 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 Tony Evers had come out and said a couple days before the election, here's my ideas. And all those points you just made, we need this, we need that, we need the other thing, we need more money. I, I anticipate that we're going to be raising taxes by somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.5 billion. Don't you think that would have cost him the election? Uh, likely. <laughs> okay, fair. No, thanks for going. Well, fair enough. And that, no, no, it's, look, I'm sorry. And that's, that's my only point about this. Again, uh, you can argue about whether or not we've – 
whether or not we've been we've reached a point where we're not taxing people enough. And you can argue about the merits of different tax increases. And, and OK, that that's a debate that I think is now going to be going on in the state legislature with the new budget and things. And that, that's that's fine. Like I say, reasonable people can disagree on that. What we can't, I think, disagree about is that the governor now, in order to get elected, recognized that if he told the truth about what he was planning to do with regard to taxes in as we in the in the run up to the election if he told the truth he probably would not have gotten elected if he said no i'm going to be increasing we we need better roads we need all this type of stuff my first budget's going to have oh about a billion maybe 2 billion dollars in tax increases I think it would have cost him the election. I sincere, which is why he decided that he was going to start changing his tune from what he was saying in the early part of the campaign, which is I want to keep taxes reasonable in Wisconsin, but not boxing himself in. But I'm sorry, I don't understand how you can say on the eve of the election, I'm planning on raising new taxes and then say, well, I, I just think it's kind of a small increase. Let's talk to Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. He obviously lied. There's no doubt about that. He said no taxes. The taxes are there. And the lie is bigger than most people realize. I mean, you're talking the one point, what is it, five or $1.6 billion that he's proposed in his budget. But if you really start to dig into that budget with the extra user fees and taxes that are in there, it's almost double that. Mm-hmm. And based on what he's proposing as far as spending, he's going to need that money. He's proposing... Yeah. One of the largest spending increases we've seen in the state and probably as long as I can remember. He's looking at almost an 8% increase in spending. And, you know, it's so frustrating, so Jeff, is it was apparent during the campaign to a lot of us who were paying attention. You know, everywhere he would go, okay, I'm, I'm going to be doing this for you, and I'm going to be doing that for you, and I'm going to be doing this for you. It was apparent that if you were listening to what he was talking about, that this is what was going to be the effect of it, because you couldn't promise everybody a chicken in every pot without paying for the chickens in those pots. So, I mean, but now it's, in order to get elected, he decides at the last minute, no, I promise no tax increases, and now we find out that, yeah, you, you can't do what he said he was going to do without tax increases. And hopefully the legislature can rein them in. Right. No, they, they, they will. I mean, there's no question that this, I think a lot of these ideas are a non-starter, but what caught me about this is, I mean, is it 2022 yet? I mean, really, the, the governor of the state of Wisconsin comes on one of the largest radio stations, if not the largest radio station in the state, and when mildly confronted about this no-tax pledge, says, well, I'm okay, mate, these are going to be like small tax increases. Small tax increases? Well, billion dollars here, billion dollars there. I mean, maybe to taxing Tony it's a small tax increase, but really, Chris in Waukesha. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Chris. I think this is a complete and total lie. I mean, if you just break it down into simple numbers, $1.3 billion, and we have, like, what, 5.8 million people in the state? Right. It's like $224 a person. So an average family of four, you're looking at another $1,000. I can't afford that. I'm a middle-class guy with a family of four. Yeah, and depending, and again, depending on how it breaks down, it it might even be more. But it's, but but Chris, it it's small, and I'm I'm this is this is kind of a small stuff. This isn't going to affect anybody. I mean, come on, give me a break. Don't you understand? We need this money. Yeah, I, you know what? I can use that money in my pocket more. Well, well, <laughs> I, I can make more of a difference with it. Well, right, exactly. And again, th- this is. 
This is what is frustrating to me. And, and you get this debate from politicians all the time. And, and you have, I mean, somebody has a text that makes a really good point. Remember 1988, George Bush, first President Bush, standing up at the Republican National Convention and saying, read my lips, no new taxes. And then what happens? He raises, he signs off on a tax increase pledge. All right, that 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 is why George Bush, together with Ross Perot, that is why the first President Bush was a one-term president. Um, you know, remember, all right, if you want a local, if you want an example for people on the left, I mean, how many times, and I'm not a huge fan of, of the of, of a coast-to-coast wall with Mexico. I've never been a huge fan of that. But all right, you, you've got President Trump. We're going to build this great wall, and Mexico's going to pay for it. All right, well, I mean, how many people have I heard who've thrown that term back? You know, the people from the left, remember, Trump lied about this. Well, yeah, that was never a realistic sort of thing at all, and people bought it. Remember President Clinton? I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The, the beat, I mean, it does. One of the textures makes this point. It goes on and on and on. But I guess I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, not surprised if you listen to what they were talking about during the course of the campaign, massive tax increases. But the reality is, if Evers would have been honest, and I firmly believe this, that was a very close gubernatorial election. For those of us who were watching it, it was apparent he was thinking about massive tax increases. If Evers had been honest with the Wisconsin voters and said, yeah, my first plan's going to be about a billion to a billion and a half dollars in tax increases, he would have lost, which is why he decided he wasn't going to say that. I'm planning on raising no taxes. This should go down. Now, I understand it's only March, but this should go down as the lie of the year, and it is only March. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. When the PGA Golf Tournament first came to Whistling Straits outside of, of Kohler, I understand Whistling Straits isn't in Kohler directly, but it's close, I knew several people who decided, you know what, we're going to get out of town for that weekend, and what we're going to do is we are going to rent out our homes to some of the people that are coming in to for the golf tournament. And I, I know one family in particular they had a very nice home in, in the area, the general vicinity of Whistling Straits, and they ended up renting it out to a professional golfer who had his family and his entourage there, and I don't know exactly how much they how much they charged, but I do know it wasn't cheap. So they, they rented out their home. They made a bunch of money. They went on vacation that week, and I think they came back, and what they got for renting out their home was more than enough to pay for their vacation and and then some. When the U.S. Open was at Aaron Hills, what, back in 2017, I know a couple people who had some very nice homes in that general area. And again, hotel rooms in, in this area are always at, at a premium. And what they did was the same thing these people I knew that lived up by the Whistling Straits golf course did. They decided they were going to, they're going to just get out of Dodge. They were going to rent their home to people who were coming in and, uh, they ended up doing it. It wasn't a professional golfer that they ended up, rest, uh, that they did, but, you know, some huge golf fans and they came and they rented the home. And I think there were like six or eight people that stayed at the house. And again, I don't know what they charged them, but they charged them a pretty good rate and, 
uh, they made a bunch of money by renting out their house, and they, they just ended up leaving. Now, I bring this up because the big news, of course, of the week is the fact that you've got the Democratic National Convention, which is going to be coming to Milwaukee July 13th to the 16th, 16th of 2020. One of the big issues is always hotel rooms, and that's one of the things that you know they're, they're scrambling for. Let's find hotel rooms. Part of the deal is, in order to get enough hotel rooms, they're, they're going to be they're, people are going to be scattered out, and they're going to be scattered out all all over. And you are undoubtedly going to have some people who decide, you, you know what, I, I don't want to, I, I want a suite, I want some place that's nice. I, I don't want to be thirty or forty or fifty minutes away, and I, I want to come down. And there's going to be several of us that are going to be attending this. Now, right now. In Milwaukee, I was pulling up the numbers, and the Journal Sentinel had this story as well. As of late last year, late 2018, Airbnb had about 1,500 quote-unquote hosts in Milwaukee, and these are people who rent out their homes. The estimates are that, um, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe – by July 2020, there could be as many as 2,500 Airbnb listings. I I have a friend of mine now who is in the process of relocating to Milwaukee, but for a variety of reasons that that relocation is not going to happen anytime soon. So what he's doing is he's he's bouncing back and forth between where his family lives and where he is, and so he's he's staying at an Airbnb. And he was telling me it's like twenty five bucks a night, something like I forget twenty five thirty bucks a night or whatever, a lot cheaper than the, the hotel. But it, it's it's what it's all he needs, you know. Right now he's got this room in this place. All right. When the Democratic National Convention comes, you are going to be having. Well, there's going to be a lot of people here. Hotel rooms are going to be at a premium. Close hotel rooms, that would be hotel rooms that are close to downtown Milwaukee, are going to be really at a premium. And in some cases, you know, you're going to be having some very, very well-heeled people who are going to be coming into town. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the estimate says, hey, by by July of 2020, we we think that maybe the number of Airbnb homes might double, maybe 2,500 perhaps listings. I think that's low. Would you be willing to rent out your home, all right, during the week of the Democratic National Convention in order to to get what is undoubtedly going to be a premium? Journal Sentinel had a story saying there's already one guy who's listing his home for somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,400 a night. A lot of people seem to think, hey, maybe you if you can't get twenty four hundred, maybe you can get a thousand, maybe you can get fifteen hundred bucks if you have a home that is relatively close to where the convention is going to be. Would you, if you could make a bunch of money that week, would you consider relocating your family and renting out your house? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this going to be the cottage industry, or? No way do you want strangers in your home. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. We're back. So, Grew, producing the show today and always, you you and your you and Mrs. Grew are thinking about doing this. You're considering turning your, your place, which is 
conveniently located to downtown Milwaukee. It's not right downtown, but conveniently located. You're thinking of turning this into an Airbnb for the uh, Democratic National Convention. Seriously considering it. 414-799-1620. The, again, hotel rooms are going to be at a premium. Hotel rooms close into downtown are especially going to be at a premium. If you have people that are coming in and, and bringing, you know, a, a few people, uh, maybe you're bringing your kids, maybe you're bringing your spouse, maybe, you know, you've got delegates that are traveling in, in sort of groups. Um, and rather than being in a hotel in Waukesha, no offense, or Washington County or Ozaki County, you know, maybe you'd rather be in somebody's house. I think this is going to be a huge cottage industry that's out there. Would you consider renting out your home for a huge event like this? 414-799-1620. Catherine in Germantown. Catherine, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Okay. This is the first time I've ever called in, even though I've wanted to in the past. So. Okay. Well, welcome. See, I'll try to be gentle. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, my friend and I were discussing this at the gym, and she is a Democrat, of course, and so she's really enthusiastic, and she is thinking, contemplating about renting out, renting out her bedrooms at least i don't know if the entire house um if her husband goes along with it but Uh she is definitely thinking about it and if he says yes she'll do it (laughs) now why will why will she do it is because she thinks she can just make a whole bunch of money or is it because she's a democrat she wants to hang out with other democrats both okay okay yeah see for me Catherine, if I were going to do something like this, I wouldn't care Republican or Democrat. I just kind of care about, hey, d- d- is the check going to clear? <laughs> you know, that's that's sort of it. Right, right. On, and I've stayed at a lot of Airbnbs throughout the United States right. and over in Europe, and I've never had an issue. Uh-huh. So um, I, I think she'll do it if her husband uh, concedes. Yeah, I think it's a question of how much you think you can get. Hey, Catherine, thanks for calling in. Do it again sometime, okay? All right, will do. All right, thanks. Thank All right. You. Is it, now here, now, like here, here's the deal. Would I do it? No, I wouldn't because I. But I, I, it's not just for the Democratic National Convention. I, I wouldn't do it for Aaron Hills. I wouldn't do it for you know anything just because I, I don't. I don't want strangers running through my house. And I, under, I understand that, that might sound funny and, and all that, but that's that's just me. I'm kind of funny like that. I, I wouldn't want to just say, okay, here's the keys. And I know a lot of people do it. I get the concept behind the Airbnbs. I understand people can make money. I just personally would not feel comfortable doing something like that. So I would pass up the money. But that's just a personal preference. I certainly wouldn't criticize anybody who chooses to do this and if you're in this boat i think this is a great opportunity if if again if that's where you're at i think this is a great opportunity to make a whole bunch of money this is sort of like you know when you have the the people who um the brewer season ticket holders who who get the tickets to the cubs game and and then sell them off to the cubs fans or the packers fans who sell off their who have the season tickets who sell the tickets to the bears because it, they can make a whole bunch of money and maybe pay for the whole rest of the season this to me is that whole concept on on steroids amy in Mesquico. amy you're on wtmj uh yes uh years ago when uh, harley Seth first came in right town 
we rented our house out for that. Now, we were in West Dallas then, and we had a great experience. They ended up not even staying in our home because they couldn't get the sheets there fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, now we live in Muskego, which we're a little farther out, but we have a beautiful house, you know, a three bedroom and a couple acres of land, you know, just right. perfect for someone. And we're thinking about it. Right. Yeah. You, so you're in Muskego, so it's a little bit further out, but at the same time, you're able to offer some delegates something, a, a nicer perhaps experience than if they were at a hotel room, not not knocking hotel rooms, but if you're in a hotel room in western Waukesha, maybe you just as soon be in Muskego and be able to be in somebody's house. Right, right. I mean, we do have a hot tub, so. Oh, <laughs> you got that. <laughs> so, we did that. Ha- we did that have it. We had that in Wasallas too. Right. So you would have no, you'd have no concern, no hesitation. I mean, obviously, you do the background check and all that stuff that you have to do. But as far as renting out your place and and making some money off it, you'd have no trouble relocating for a week and just saying, "Here, here's the keys. See you on Monday or Tuesday." Uh, yeah, I mean, there is always concerns about someone else living in your house, right. and especially when you don't do it on a regular basis. But we did it once, and I know we could do it again. Yeah. No. Okay. No. Thank. Well, I see, and I think that's one of the reasons why I want to discuss this. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer to this, except it's interesting because some of the estimates say, and like I say, right now, the the most recent number is Milwaukee. At the end of last year, had about fifteen hundred Airbnb hosts. They estimate in the next year and a half it's going to increase to twenty five hundred. My guess is that's small. I think as more and more people start to process this, and as the stories you know come out, because keep in mind, you know you've got you know you've got thousands and thousands of people who are going to be coming here. But it's it's not just the delegates; it, it's all the other people that are coming in connection with the convention. You've got all the media stuff. Somebody was telling me. That they've got a, um, they have a parking pass. You know, they have a parking pass to an area that they, they're monthly parkers. You know, because it's where they work. They have a parking pass to a, a parking facility that's close by where the convention center is going to be. And again, they they have it day in day out, and they're already thinking. You know what? I bet you I can sell this parking pass for the. You know, the week of the Democratic National Convention, I can sell this on a per day basis and I can make enough money in that week to pay for what the parking pass costs me all year. And, you know, they they may very well be right. So this is one of, you know, people ask me how I feel about the Democratic National Convention coming to southeastern Wisconsin. And I say, bring it on. I mean, I, I let's let's put the politics aside here. I think this is going to be, number one, a tremendous opportunity to showcase all the beautiful stuff that we have going on in southeastern Wisconsin during the summer. Hopefully the weather will cooperate. Hopefully we won't have any of those July rainstorms we get from time to time. Nice weather week. Focus on all the great stuff that is happening, not just in the city of Milwaukee, but in southeastern Wisconsin. And I also think... You know, for people who decide that they want to be a bit of an entrepreneur, I, I think that there's always going to be all sorts of opportunities for folks to take advantage of the fact that you're going to have thousands and thousands of people coming from out of the area with money that they want to spend. And that's a good thing. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
so very glad to have you with us. Hey, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Send out links to a number of the different stories that we discuss, including kind of a head start on what we're going to be talking about in about an hour from now on our popular pop culture corner feature for a Friday afternoon. All right. There is a battle that is brewing between some members of the Milwaukee Common Council and the mayor with regard to the, these food trucks. If you if you go out to public events around the area, it is not uncommon to see a number of different food trucks that show up. I th- everybody knows what a food truck is. It's um, these generally speaking, it's well. In, in some cases, it's a like a giant van. In some cases, it's a converted truck. Sometimes it's a truck that's pulling like a kitchen on wheels. But but you see them all over, and they're, they're incredibly popular. And some of the food that you can get from some of these proprietors are really really good. You'll have, I, I probably I would say the most common food truck that you see is is tacos. But you can also, I mean, there there's. There's one outfit that does ribs, for example, you know, really, really good. And it's not uncommon. Um, I, I've been to a number of, like, beer festivals and stuff in these various parks, and what happens is the food truck's set up, and so it, it, it it's great all around. People love going to the food trucks, and from the perspective of the people that are putting on the festival, it's another attraction. The food trucks make money. In many cases, these food trucks are great ways for entrepreneurs to get started. Maybe you, you've got a great idea, and maybe you're a great cook, but you don't have the money to actually start a standalone restaurant. You know, you, you don't, you, you can't pay the rent right away and you can't hire the staff so what you can do is you get the food truck and it's a way to kind of build your business and you're successful after a while and you make some dough and next thing you know you have a restaurant so it's it's a great food trucks as a general rule i consider to be a really really good thing for a community and they're great when you have the festivals and the events and they show up and they bring food to people and and again it benefits the entrepreneurs all right Here's the problem, though, that occurs from time to time. In some areas of the the city, and it's it's not just the city of Milwaukee, but you will have these food trucks, and, and what they do is they will come out really early in the morning. And they will find a a spot or maybe two spots or maybe three spots on a popular street. They'll come out really early in the morning and they'll park on on the street and they will essentially camp there for the entire day. Well, this means that people who want to shop, want to patronize, say, the businesses that are on that block, well, now, you know, a parking space or two parking spaces or three parking spaces are are gone because the food truck is located there. In addition, let's say my producer, Gru, has a recipe. What's your, what's, what do you cook? Do you cook something good? Salmon. Okay. All right. He he decides he's going to start the, the Gru's Salmon Food Truck. So what he does is, hey, I, look, this is great. People love this. I'm going to pay the licensing fee I need to pay for the city. And you know what? I've got this great location. I'm going to put it on a block. And it just so happens that in the same block that I'm located on the street, there is... There's a seafood restaurant, brick-and-mortar seafood restaurant that's been there for ages. But but Gru's Salmon is is as good, maybe it's better, but because 
Gru doesn't have the overhead of running the business. He doesn't. It's just it's him and it's Mrs. Gru and it's it's me who he's hired to kind of like clean the pots and pans. Okay, so it's just the three of us. So his expenses are a lot less than the the person that's running the actual brick and mortar restaurant, who by the way is paying property taxes and paying payroll taxes and all those types of stuff and heat and utilities and all those different types of things. So he's located in front of the seafood restaurant or on the block of the seafood restaurant. So number one, by parking there, he his food truck's very presence makes it more difficult for somebody to at least park close to the restaurant. Number two, he's competing with that, that restaurant. Right? So that's, that's the issue. And you can understand why the guy or gal that runs the brick and mortar restaurant is going, wait, this isn't this isn't fair. You know, he's not paying half of what I'm paying and he's located and he's taking away my business with his 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 salmon stuff. So anyhow, what happened is Bob Donovan, who will be stepping down from his spot on the south side as an alderman in twenty twenty, Bob Donovan, with the blessing of the common council for his district, had a ban on food trucks. Um, on one particular street, food trucks would be banned from parking on West National Avenue between Layton Boulevard westward to the city limits. He said the problems that they were having is you'd have these vendors and one particular food truck in general, which would come in and would just essentially set up shop for hours a day in a space that was limited to two hour parking and they didn't care about the tickets. And so they were there. So what Donovan wanted was, and the Common Council went along with him unanimously, I want to ban the food trucks on on National Avenue. Now, we're not banning the food trucks in general. Food trucks can, they can certainly pay rent to be in somebody's parking lot, or, you know, they can be on some of the side streets. But he said, hey, look, given what's going on here, we have a busy street, National Avenue. You have the food trucks that is just camped there. So people can't park where the food truck is. In addition, hey, we just got done with this winter where, you know, we understand how the roads were plowed for whatever reasons. Blame whoever you want. But now you've got the food truck that's in these parking spaces. That's So the food truck is out even further in traffic because you can't get close to the curb. So the Common Council went unanimously went along with this food truck ban. Tom Barrett has vetoed that. You know, setting up what this fight is. Tom Barrett says, hey, hey look, um, I think I think these food trucks contribute essentially to the vibrancy of the community. They give, you know, this great energy to our city. They're a platform for entrepreneurs to start or expand businesses. We should find a way to support the opportunities. And I don't go along with limiting where they can set up to do business. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it unreasonable to ban these food trucks from some of the major thoroughfares, given, uh, again, the fact that they're taking up parking spaces, the fact that they may be hurting the local restaurants? Is it unreasonable? 414-799-1620. The mayor apparently seems to think, let's put them anywhere. And that's great because they contribute to the vibrancy of the city, and the mayor has a point. But, all right, what about people that want to actually patronize, in this case, businesses along National Avenue, who now can't park in front of these places because you've got the food trucks? All right, who who should have the right, and should we say to the food trucks, all right, you've got to find other locations to operate? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. 
You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. So glad to have you with us. Betty in Milwaukee. Betty, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I'm really, this is a real sore spot for me. I had a business with my husband for 33 years, one block from that taco truck that's being talked about. And I called it in many times because that taco truck never moved. It would come early in the morning between between 9 and 10, and it would sit there all day in the same spot until sometimes 9 to 10 o'clock at night. Never move. And and it's it's a two-hour parking thing, right? It's a two-hour parking, yes. It's a two-hour parking thing. The meters, I don't believe the meters were ever stuffed. And and another thing that that well, plus the, the, this like in this particular case the truck it, it's not just one parking space it looks to me like it takes up a couple or does oh, it just definitely. take up okay right definitely. yeah right definitely. so you're yeah, so you're not just taking up one spot you're so if somebody wants to come and patronize your business there well at least two of those parking spaces are are, um, are gone right yeah yeah and parking is at a premium uh, for some of these areas and the, and the one area that he parks for sure because there is a. Um, like a garage that sells vehicles. Mm-hmm. And first, one thing that I told your screener is we as businesses pay double the amount of taxes than the normal homeowner does. Sure. Besides the fact that uh, the parking checker would come around, and I had a, a doctor's office across the street, many times people's meters ran out, and the parking checker was on it like flies on you know what, <laughs> and giving them a ticket, and here this taco truck sat. It hasn't changed. Now, what does that man, you know, and the license and stuff that, that a business owner has to have, he might have the, the license for his for yeah. his food and a license for sure. his vehicle, but that's it. Right. Yeah, you're, you're not paying the overhead yep. that the people, you know, in that area. Betty, thanks for calling. I'm with you on this one, and I, I want to be real clear here. I am not anti-food trucks, all right? I, I think there is there's certainly a place for them, and I have patronized food trucks in the past. But I just don't think any of the communities, whether it's the city of Milwaukee or whether it's Whitefish Bay or any uh, Glendale or whatever, any area that has West Dallas, you name it, I don't think you can allow your public streets to become dumping grounds, essentially, for the, these rolling businesses. I mean, look, I got no issue with food trucks, and I understand that you know they, they have to pay to get their permits and things like that, but I don't think that they should just be able to park on streets, taking up multiple parking spaces and stay there, just like you know you're not going to be able to just abandon your car on on a particular street. Now that's not saying you can't have food trucks. What does that mean? Well, okay, maybe the operator of the food truck needs to cut a deal with the operator of the grocery store down the block who's got a who's got some parking spaces, and maybe maybe actually pay some money and and rent some space out in the grocery store or, or whatever. Now, does that add an added cost to the uh, to the, the particular food truck? Well, well, yeah, it does. But at the same time, all right, that, that's freeing up other people to be able to park. Now, I understand the, the argument is, well, if you've got the food truck there, it's going to attract other, it's going to attract customers. And some of those customers might go into, you know, whatever the store is and patronize it. But I don't think that's working out. I, I really, my guess is most of the people that go and stop at one of these food trucks for lunch, they're, they're getting the food and then it's not like they're going in and shopping in the area. I'm not anti-food truck. 
I don't disagree with what Tom Barrett says when he says, hey, it increases the vibrancy. It, it helps entrepreneurs operate. I don't disagree with any of that. But that doesn't mean that you should be able to park your vehicle anywhere you want in the city and essentially just say, okay, I'm going to be here for 12 hours, and uh, I don't care what it does to the brick-and-mortar stores. I don't care what it does to any of the other restaurants. I, I think you, you got to have that happy medium. And the happy medium is, hey, you can't abandon your car. You can't just set up business operating on the public streets in these areas, what you need to do is you need to figure out a spot where you can be. Now, Donovan's resolution here, it, it it wasn't limiting. It wasn't saying you can't park on the street. It was saying, okay, you can't operate this particular business, in this case on National Avenue, because it's really a busy street. You just have to go around the corner. The better solution to me would be saying, hey, if you're going to operate one of these businesses on wheels, you you got to you you got to find a place, again, a grocery store parking lot or wherever, where you're going to pay rent to let them be there, and then you can set up and you can be open from 10 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock as night, as, at night as far as I'm concerned. Not anti-food truck, but th- this idea that you're going to let them take up parking spaces, hurt perhaps other businesses because people can't park near that, I think that is incredibly short-sighted. Uh, the Common Council passed this ban on the food truck on National Avenue, it was unanimous. So it's like, I think there's 15 members of the Common Council. Barrett's vetoed it, so I think you need 10 to override. The real question is going to be, all right, you know, are there going to be 10? Because, again, here, maybe some people on the Common Council don't care about the mayor, you know, uh, don't, don't care about this particular thing on National Avenue. But, you know, here's the problem. Unless you're on the Common Council and you stick together with this, all right, Today, maybe it's Donovan's district and National Avenue. Maybe, you know, tomorrow it's your district and you've got complaints from the business owners about a particular food truck. Um, and the mayor decides, all right, he's not going to care about that. This is why I think the members of the Common Council end up having to stick together. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It's the 2 o'clock hour of the Friday show, so glad to have you with us. Our Pop Culture Corner feature comes up in about a half hour. Today is a particularly topical one given some of the events of the week. If you want to get a head start on it, follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. I've got a link to where the story comes from and maybe give you a little bit of some ideas. All right. I have, I've mentioned this story, but we haven't taken phone calls on it this week on two different occasions because it, it's one of those things where on one on the one hand, you can say to people, all you're doing is being whining nimbies, you know, get over it. On the other hand, sometimes sometimes people who are whining NIMBYs, being the not-in-my-backyard folks, they have a point. All right, everybody knows over the last couple years that there has been this controversy involving the, the juvenile prison. Now, a number of years ago, there used to be, like, regional prisons for the, the juveniles. And they don't, they don't like to call them prisons. Okay, juvenile facilities. And what happened is they closed them all and they centralized the stuff up in Lincoln Hills, which is in the north central part of the the state. There have been all sorts of controversies over the last couple of years involving Lincoln Hills. And what you have to keep in mind is to get sent to a juvenile facility, to get sent to Lincoln Hills, 
you got to work at it. I mean, th- this is this is not kids who you know went out and soaped somebody's windows. These are violent. As a general rule, they are violent. They are dangerous young people who have you know committed some pretty serious crimes. So the folks that you're putting up in Lincoln Hills, again, you, you hope for rehabilitation. That that's certainly the case. But at the same time, you're also putting them in Lincoln Hills because you want to protect society from them. One of the arguments that has come out about that is, look, we have a lot of the people that fit into that category, a lot of these dangerous juveniles who are being sent to Lincoln Hills, which is hours and hours away from Milwaukee. They come from Milwaukee. That's just the reality of this. So if you have them separated from their, their family structure, not that the family structure stopped them from committing crimes in the first place, mind you, but it's difficult for people to visit. If you're really trying to have a goal of rehabilitation, well, what you need is you need the people, you need the perpetrators to be closer to home so family members can visit and those sorts of things. And there is an argument and an appeal to that argument. So what we've decided to do now is we are going to close Lincoln Hills. All right, great. You're going to close Lincoln Hills. So the question then becomes, what do you do with these dangerous juvenile offenders? Where do you put them? And so the idea that the state has come up with is we're going to have smaller regional facilities across the, the state. And we're going to put one in Outagamie County and we're going to put one in Milwaukee County. Okay, well that's that that's that's fine. I mean, you can again make the argument that if you've got a lot of these these juvenile delinquents slash juvenile criminals that you know need to be you know, removed from society to help rehabilitate themselves, but also to protect the rest of us, and they're coming from Milwaukee. Well, it makes sense to have them there. So then the question becomes, where are you going to put them? <laughs> right, that, which is always the sixty four thousand dollar question. Well, apparently, what what happened is. They, this would be Tony Evers, this would be Kevin Carr, and I've known Kevin Carr since he worked um, in the Sheriff's Department. He's now the new secretary for the State Department of Corrections. What they decided to do, with the mayor's blessing, but apparently without telling too many people, is they decided we're going to locate this facility on Tetonia Avenue and on Mill Road, Mill and Tetonia. Now, I know that area because... As I said the other day, I am a proud graduate of Glen Hills Middle School, which is in Glendale, which is a couple blocks away from where this juvenile facility is going to be. Huh. All right. The alderman from the district is not happy with this at all. He says, hey, look, I I already got this economically depressed area that I'm, I'm dealing with. Um, there, there wasn't an opportunity for public comment on this. There wasn't public input on this. It's just the mayor and apparently the governor. They just decided this is where it's going to be. Um, so, you know, who cares what the neighbors think? Well, yesterday that there was a there was a at least a public meeting on this, and it was sort of like the impression I get is kind of like the old Frankenstein movies when the the villagers found out that Doctor Frankenstein was building a monster, and they all showed up with like the pitchforks and the the torches and stuff. Well, they had about yeah, about a hundred people who apparently you know showed up from the neighborhood saying. <laughs> What's going on here? We thought there was some degree of transparency, and now you tell us you're you're dumping this juvenile facility 
in our neighborhood without giving us any input. And that's pretty much what they said. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel writes the story. Despite vehement disapproval from members of Milwaukee's north side, building Lincoln Hills replacement on North Tatonia Avenue and West Mill Road is pretty much a done deal, according to state officials. Kevin Carr, the Secretary of the Department of Corrections, Mary Jo Myers, the Director of the County's Department of Health and Human Services, and the Mayor faced a frustrated crowd of residents from Milwaukee and Glendale. The frustration spilled over into boos and jeers when Carr announced in no uncertain terms the site has been selected. The state plans to hold 32 serious-level juvenile offenders on the 17-acre lot, according to Carr. Alderman Ashanti Hamilton, who is considering running for mayor, said he was not consulted about the decision, even though the facility is in his district. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand very few people want to have a facility like this in their backyard. That That's just... That is just the reality. Do you, you know? Do, do you want to live in the shadow of? In this case, it's not a prison, but it's going to be a juvenile correctional facility. It's going to be housing dangerous juveniles. At the same time, you have to put it somewhere. These neighbors say, "Hey, we weren't consulted about this. We weren't told about this. This is just—it's boom—a a done deal, and we're told essentially shut up and live with it." Do they have a valid point? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, there's lots of vacant space, um, you know, across Milwaukee County. There's different locations that you could find, some of which, again, still in Milwaukee County, actually some maybe even the city of Milwaukee, that are perhaps, you know, more of, you know, more remote than this particular location. 414-799-1620. All right, should these people just shut up and get over it? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. At this meeting last night where the mayor is trying to justify this decision to put this particular juvenile correctional facility on Mill Road in Tetonia. Somebody says, well, isn't it interesting that there's, there's plenty of land where the mayor lives in Story Hill, and I, I don't think they're going to put it anywhere near where the mayor lives, and there probably is a point to that. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mark in Glendale. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, did the residents have a beef, or are they just being whiny nimbies? Well, I think they have a little bit of, of a beef. Well, I was telling your screener that my father um, lives not too far from there. Um, he plays cards at Glen Hills Middle mm-hmm. School like every uh, twice a week. Sure. And so I'm familiar with the area, and I'm familiar enough to tell you that that corner of Mill Road and Titonia is a complete blight. I grew up in Glendale. Mm-hmm. I grew up very close to that area, and that whole area needs a complete revamping it, it's always um, kind of been a blight i grew up in glendale too and there's I, I remember there was like a gas station on one corner and yeah. stuff yeah it's it, it's always been it's always been sort of a blight no question about it well it's it's gone really downhill in the last 10 years so if you if you take a look at that area it is it needs a huge shot in the arm and i was also telling your screener i thought you know this is going to be a brand new facility i would assume and it's going to be very nice and it's going to be something that's going to be not an eyesore. And, and I also said that 
I, I'm a defense attorney, so I get to a lot of prisons around the state. And some of these prisons, like Wapan, is right across the street from uh, a whole street. It's a residential area aligned with houses, and it's it all fits in. It, nobody complains about it. Um, I think that's what's going to fi- they're going to find with this. I mean, it's it's a facility. That's basically what it is. It's not like you're going to find guys crawling over the walls and just to worry about these kids escaping. These are these are kids, and this is going to uh-huh. be. I but well, let me but let me ask you the big question. Okay, this is. I, I mean, I understand that the, the area is an eyesore and stuff. But if you're trying to promote some sort of economic development, or or is the way to do it to put a facility that's going to be housing 32 serious level juvenile offenders? I guess. I mean, I I guess do I do I want to start a business across the street from that? I mean, is that the way to bring that area back? Possibly not. But you have the police academy that's literally a. 50, 100 right. feet away from that, so they already have that facility there. So, you know, the, the, the point being is that that, play, that has been a, a blight for so long that they've had plenty of time to develop that, and I know that that Super America went out um, probably 10 years ago, and mm-hmm. that thing on the corner is just a complete eyesore. So I think anything in that area is going to be an improvement. You know, you know, I know that the residents don't want to have that type of a facility, but I think once it's done and they see how it's going to be operated, they're going to probably be semi-happy with it. Okay, thank. All right. Well, thank. I guess time. I mean, time will tell. Here's the other. Here's the other beef about this, and this is why. And I, I, I pick on the NIMBY attitude from time to time. Here is the other thing: this, this was not the source of, of public discussion. I mean, the, the residents are saying, "Wait, we didn't have any input in this." The, the first time, you know, we we heard it. We're, we show up at the meeting, and we're told, you know, where this is going to be. Now, there was another site that they were talking about in another aldermanic district further west on Mill Road. Um, closer to a, a business or two, and apparently the the mayor, you know, didn't like that one as well. The older woman from that district started complaining about it because she didn't want it in her district, and so they they just decide, okay, we're going to put it here. Now maybe this is the best location. Although I'm I'm wondering how people in Glendale feel about about this, and, and maybe Mark's going to be right that there's there, there's not going to be any problems. It's not going to lower property values. It's it's going to no, there's not going to be any problems with this at all i do think the folks have a beef to the extent that they're told that this is what it's going to be it's not like there's this ongoing public debate about where we're going to put it it's no this is where it's going to be sorry shut up stop whining about this 414-799-1620 let's talk to um andy in brookfield hi andy oh hey how you doing good what do you think well, Mark's got some interesting points that I hadn't thought about, and maybe that's it. But I do think that um, these people do have um, a legitimate point to a certain extent. Um, and on a macro level, I don't mean to be causing trouble here, but it sounds a little bit like how uh, Foxconn got rammed through. And I know there was more mm-hmm. there was more debate and things, but on a big level, it was pretty clear that that's going to happen. So let it happen. You know, let it happen. And to the bigger point, it becomes that's why you have to be careful about who you elect. Because well, they're going to make decisions right. afterwards, and but you, can't, I, you can't manage all those decisions. Yeah, I guess. See, the the thing that's interesting to me is is we we hear and thanks for call. We hear so much, Andy, about transparency. All right, we we want to be transparent. We we want to be open. We and, and look here. Here is the reality. And, and Mark may very well be right that maybe this is 
Maybe this is how you start the redevelopment process. And and I understand people in Wapan, for example, I mean, that's, you know, where you've got that prison facility. And, and it's, a, it's a big employer in the area. And I, I think people who live in Wapan, they they're it doesn't bother them that you have that facility there. So, you know, maybe this isn't going to provide safety risks or things like that. that. That may very well be the case. But at least... I think it's something that you need to have a dialogue on. And, you know, if you've got property owners who live in Glendale or you've got property owners who live nearby um, in, again, in Milwaukee, in that area, I think they should have at least had the opportunity to have some input on this. Now, I don't know if this is Tom Barrett deciding to stick it to Ashanti Hamilton, who may or may not run for mayor. Don't know what that element is. Don't know why they 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 think that this is so much superior to the more the more remote location. But still, again, in Milwaukee, that they were looking at further out on on Mill Road or any of those different types of factors. My only point, and maybe this, maybe this is virtually the best spot to put this detention facility in the city of Milwaukee or in Milwaukee County. Maybe it's the best spot, but, but you would have thought that you would have at least had a public dialogue on this and allowed neighbors to weigh in on these different things and had an overall discussion instead of just coming out like they did and saying, this is it. If you don't like it, too bad, so sad, shut up. This is where it's going to be. doesn't seem to me, if you're trying to promote transparency, that that's the best foot to get started on. And again, I, I'm i just, I, I'm trying to picture so far, I, I haven't heard much from Glendale and what the mayor of Glendale thinks about all this as well, because this is right on the Glendale-Milwaukee border, and some area residents, at least from Milwaukee, aren't happy, don't know if they have any say in this or not. This is Jeff Wagner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here's Jeff Wagner. Every week for Pop Culture Corner, I, I try to base it on something that has gone on in the news. And of course, one of the big stories this week has been this this cheating scandal that has emerged where you have all these wealthy parents who have been trying to buy their kids way into some of these elite universities, in some cases hiring these folks who would go in and take um, achievement tests for the kids or correct the tests after the kids have taken them to boost it by 400 points, or in the case of this Lori Laughlin, who is, uh, well, we'll talk about her in just a second, but her and her husband, what they're alleged to have done is they cooked up this scheme with this guy who runs one of these placement services to essentially pretend that her kids were were athletes. Now here, we're going to take a picture of you rowing crew. And then what they did is they paid off like the crew coach at USC. And so the kids got admitted under the eye pretense that even though they'd never rowed a boat in their life, that they were going to be rowing crew. And then a week into it, they decide they're, they're, they're quitting. They're not going to do it, of course, because they've never done it in the first place, but they're already in school. So anyhow, um, this is what the scandal is. And there's a number of wealthy people that have been involved in this, but one of the people who's been indicted is Lori Laughlin. Now, my wife, the lovely Fran, was upset about this because she is a fan of the Hallmark Channel. And we've talked about this before. I, I the, the, the Hallmark Channel, I, I watch it because she watches it, but I, and I will fall asleep to the Hallmark Channel from time to time. But it, it's... 
I, I get why people like it. It's it's harmless. The plots of the movies, if you've seen one Hallmark movie, you've seen them all. But, you know, in any given year, they'll produce 40 or 50 of these things. But they're all these kind of feel-good sort of family. And I, I understand why people like them, because you, you know they're not going to die in the end. And you know at the end the boy is going to get the girl, and you know the town is going to be saved. You just know that that's going to how it's turned out. And I understand, given all the crap that's out in the news and how frustrated things are and mass shootings and stuff, I understand why people like escapist entertainment. Well, this Lori Laughlin, who has now been indicted, she is, I mean, one of the preeminent stars on the Hallmark Channel. She's responsible for a couple different productions. She stars in, uh, let's see, When Calls the Heart. She's also stars in Garage Sale Mysteries. I have not seen those. She's got all sorts of Hallmark movies. Well, I mean, yesterday, Hallmark said we're done with her. You know, no surprise. This does not fit the image of the brand. One of the Hallmark stars indicted. You just don't want to see that word. So they have they have dropped her. Maybe you are not a fan of the Hallmark Channel and you haven't seen this. But um, one of the things before the Hallmark, Lori Laughlin was best known for her role as Becky Katsopoulos on the um, ABC sitcom Full House. She portrayed Aunt Becky. And so since this story has been breaking for the last couple of days, th- this has been, I mean, the mantra on social media has been, not Aunt Becky. Well, yeah, this this was Aunt Becky. And my guess is there's a lot of young guys growing up who had crushes on Aunt Becky, you know, when when Full House was on. She had, it was kind of an iconic TV character, and now she's kind of fallen, uh, fallen from grace in a pretty good way. So I was thinking, all right, Pop Culture Corner, what are we going to do this week? I had an idea. Aunt Becky, clearly an iconic television character. I thought we'd have a little bit of fun as we ease into the good weekend. So here's what I want to talk to you about. What is the most memorable TV character ever? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it can be from the world. It can be a dramatic show. It can be a comedy show, but the most memorable TV character. Now, I'm talking about a character now, not the actor that portrays the character. The most memorable TV character ever, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, as we always remind people, call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up. And also, um, don't overthink it. Kind of go with your first instinct. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to at least one site's reflections of the 50 most memorable TV characters of all time. But when you hear that, the most memorable TV character, what character pops to mind? We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Pop Culture Corner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. Our text line has just absolutely exploded. Um, there's somebody, it's a great trip down memory lane for me. Uh, Cosmo Kramer. Here's somebody that texts in. Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld. Got to be him. Boy, Michael Richards has done nothing since that show. You, t- you create that memorable character, and, and that's it for you. Okay, let's start with Katie in Burlington. Katie, hello. Hi. You asked the question. First thing that popped in my head was Archie Bunker from All in the Family. The late, great Carol O'Connor. That was yeah. a were, – were you – I mean, do you remember when that show first came on? Are you old enough? I'm 46, so I'm not exactly <laughs> sure, but I remember watching it. And I just – looking back how – 
that character could have been so pigeonholed and one-dimensional, and it wasn't. It just it was a character that, that mm-hmm. just walked you through its, his thought processes, the way he looked, the way he acted, his chair, the way he interacted with the other great characters on the show. Right. He dealt with some major serious issues um, and, and was able to convey emotion even when he didn't want to convey it. He reminded me a lot of my grandfather. Yeah. And that's it, probably why I liked watching it. Well, no, okay. And it, it's interesting. I mean, because that, people don't remember how transformative that, that show All in the Family was. Because up until then, you know, the, the TV shows, I mean, CBS was the Beverly Hillbillies, and CBS was Petticoat Junction, and it was Green Acres. And then all of a sudden, you have, boom, you know, we're going to take these, this, we're going to debut the show that deals with all these topical issues. And you have, Carol O'Connor, who it just it, Carol O'Connor was great, and that's definitely a defining character. Uh, Tim in Bayview. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks Hi. for taking my call, Jeff. Y- yes, sir. Okay. Um, most memorable TV character ever. Um, much as I'm not a fan of his politics, Hawkeye Pierce. Yeah, Alan Alda. Um, I, I, you know, when Mash was first on, I don't know. I, there certainly wasn't a bigger TV star. I mean, Mash, and, and of course, he, he Alan Alda, I've seen him in all sorts of other things since Mash ended, but you look at that, and he's still always Hawkeye. <laughs> he's always going to be Hawkeye. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's just, it, it was just sort of this defining sort of thing. 414-799-1620, Scott in Slinger. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I have to say Barney Fife. Mm-hmm. Don Knotts doing a great job, um, only on the show for five years, but in that five years just made an indelible impression. And TV shows now even refer to, you know, some bumbling police officer as, hey, Barney Fife is here. I, yeah, and I, matter of fact, I, it's not just TV shows, it's talk show hosts. I think I've used that reference from time to time when there's been a screw-up. No, Don Knotts, I mean, thanks for the call, was, was just in, incredible there, and the, the way the interesting little bit of trivia about that is when the Andy Griffith show was starting off, I mean, the original thing was going to be, okay, Andy wasn't going to be the straight man. The Andy Griffith character, it, it was going to be more of a comedic sort of thing. And then they just saw how good that Barney, that Don Knotts was with that Barney Fife character. And they immediately said, okay, Andy, you're, you're going to be the straight man. And, you know, Barney's going to be Barney Fife and Don Knotts is going to be Barney Fife. And it was just incredible. 414-799-1620, the most memorable TV character ever. And we, Bring this up just in recognition of the fact that the gal from Full House, Aunt Becky, now finds herself looking at time in federal prison. Kathy and Franklin. Hi, Kathy. You're on WTMJ. Oh, hi. Um, my choice would be Columbo. Oh, Peter Falk. Yes. Yeah. And the thing I really liked about that show is, first of all, the storylines were, were very creative. Mm-hmm. And his humility, uh, I think, kind of offset... Um, any fear that people would have talking to him. Right. And I also like that he was always very respectful of the intelligence of the people who were guilty. Mm-hmm. And you never saw him demeaning anybody. Everything was just kind of low-key, but yeah, he was just wonderful, I thought. Yeah, I, and that's a great character. I, what I loved about the, the... I still watch the Columbo shows to this day, and, and what I liked about it is up until Columbo, 
the the way it used to be is is you did the murderer was, it was like the Perry Mason shows the murderer was revealed in the last act you didn't know who committed the crime Columbo they they turned that on its end the first you know couple segments they show you who's committed the crime and then the rest of the show is about how he catches the person I thought that was just such a an absolutely tremendous narrative and and the way to do it I I just loved it and Peter Falk was just uh, great let's talk to Kathy and Sheboygan. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Yes, Opie Taylor and um, Theodore Cleaver. Beaver, the beaver. The beaver. <laughs> I, Jerry, you know, Jerry Mathers, um, if you're a certain age, you know, you, you grew up watching the, the Leave it to Beaver. That was a little bit before my time. I saw it in reruns and stuff, but um, it, that was, it was just such, that was great family fare. No question about it. Exactly. Thank it you. was. No, thanks for the call. All right, let's go. Our, our, let's start text line. I mean, so many people are here. Let's see. Uh, I would have to say Robin Williams in Mork and Mindy. Uh, unquestionably, uh, Robin Williams was great. J.R. Ewing. Yeah, I mean, Larry Hagman playing J.R. Ewing. That was big. The Fonz. Okay, when the Democrats come to Milwaukee in uh, in July of 2020, how many different things are we going to see from the about the the, the Fonz statue? Uh, let's see, Gomer Pyle. Somebody says a couple more people saying the Fonz. Ted uh, Baxter. That would be from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. If, if you again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I've got a link to at least one particular website suggestion of the top fifty characters. Some of those include not Ted Baxter, the Ted Knight character from Mary Tyler Moore Show, but Mary Richards. Um, you know that that character. I would. You know, we've been talking about comedies and lighter shows. I think of a more recent visit, visage. If you want vintage, if you wanted to throw in a couple, think about. Um, James Gandolfini's Tony Soprano. I mean, it's just, I mean, you want to talk about an actor that just inhabited that character and even more recent vintage. I mean, think about, um, uh, the Walter White character, you know, that you, you've got as well. I mean, I think you can make a strong argument that, you know, you know, Walter White might be the, the definitive sort of television anti-hero. 414-799-1620. Paul, who's calling us from Illinois. Hi, Paul. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure, who do you think? I think the, the most bedrock of female comedians got to be Lucy. Um, like the Lucy Ricardo character from I, I, <clears throat> I Love Lucy? Yeah. Yeah, and all the followers. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Paul, it, it's interesting. I mean, that Lucille Ball, of course, was just a comedic genius. I think people... People, I think, have forgotten as time goes on the impact that those, you know, I Love Lucy shows have. But, I mean, it that was another one that was just transformative. Okay, let's see. Deborah says Marlo Thomas from That Girl. number of other people saying uh, J.R. Ewing again. How about, how about the Leonard Nimoy character, you know, Mr. Spock in Star Trek? I mean, that, again, instantly recognizable when you go for that. Let's talk to Joseph in Appleton. Joseph, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I was thinking Maverick. Oh, James Garner. James Garner, Maverick. Yeah, um, I thought it, I thought that uh, that that series kind of did a little bit of transcending for other shows that followed it. Um, just as kind of corniness and more of a human character, right? Um, you know, not so perfect. 
right? The, yeah, the flawed, that. right? The flawed, the flawed hero. No, thank yeah. you. Right, the flawed hero, which distinguished him from from some things. Uh, there, there's so many just like great choices that are out there, and we haven't, you know, we haven't gotten to, for example, the Dick Van Dyke character, Rob Petrie. You haven't looked at some of those, you know, great shows that were out there as well. If I had to pick one, I, I think. I think it would be Brian Cranston and, and Walter White. I, I think that's from from Breaking Bad. And I understand that's a little darker than some of the ones that we're talking about, but I think that might be the seminal character. If I was trying to think of the most memorable character, and it's again, it's a compliment to what a great performance Cranston did. If you want to see this list of the top fifty that at least one website compiled, then you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. That's Pop Culture Corner for this week. It's all in honor of. Aunt Becky, whose well, life's not working out as well as she perhaps hoped when she paid $500,000 to try to get her kids into USC. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind. He's on the road as part of the We Love Wisconsin tour. Stick around.